The Breakdown Politics with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies telling you what you need to know regarding politics breaking it down politics and welcome to another episode of politics with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies bringing you the truth of what's going on in politics. We call politics in 2018 politics because it's the trickery, the trickers about what's really going on in politics. Murph, do your thing. All right. Thank you, Brother Blue. What's going on, everyone? We got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right into it. And I'm going to start with uh, what I like to call the meme roundup, which is basically I see memes posted on my page all the time. And a lot of them are on point, but some of them are a little off. So I, I, I'll jump into some of them just to make sure that you're not getting uh, pointed in the wrong direction here. And there was one with, uh, that, I, that I saw a few, a few times lately with uh, Vanessa Williams. If you don't know who Vanessa Williams is, she is a uh, former Miss America. She was stripped of her title uh, when nude pictures of her were, uh, had come out that she had taken earlier, and uh, basically she, that meant that she wasn't Miss America material, so they stripped her of her crown. But who cares? Because she went on to have a fantastic career in fashion design, uh, singing, and acting. So uh, she didn't need that Miss America. She already had the talent in her the entire time. And but to be 100% honest, how, how beneficial is being Miss America anyway? I can't really think of too many success stories except for her coming out of that. You know what I mean? Right. And it was probably the scandal that propelled her, <laughs> pretty much. Because you were right. I can't name a single Miss America. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. I really can't. You know? Well, it definitely probably boosted her up a little bit. But she was already talented. She was probably the most talented of any person that won that award or exactly. whatever they call that. Yeah. I mean, she's still, uh, I mean, I think her last album, I mean, she was put on albums like in the 90s. I had one of them, too. And um, she, I think the last album she put out was like in 2009, I think. And, of course, you know, she still acts and does all, and, of course, she's a fashion designer, so she's fine, you know. Well, in both ways. I mean, she's 55, and she's still aboard. I mean, I was going to say that. You took my line, man. Then you took my damn line. I was going to say she was fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> but there was a meme going around, you know, a picture of Vanessa Williams, and it says, um, Vanessa Williams posed nude and, we, and couldn't be Miss America, but Melania posed nude and gets to be America's first lady. And I'm like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, it's not just the ouch, it's horribly unfair. And don't get me wrong, I, I don't like Melania like that, you know. Melania is basically, I don't know if she's just clueless or, like, how are you going to come up with Be Best talking about online bullying when your husband is America's top troll? Like, how are you going to do can't, that? If you can't make her responsible for her husband's actions, though, and maybe in a way that's a jab at him. Right. But here's the thing, though. But that's the whole point. That's the only reason why I'm against this meme is because Vanessa Williams applied to be Miss America. She entered that contest. You don't enter a contest to be first lady. You just have to be married to a man who runs for president. So 
when they say Melania gets to be America's first lady, it's because she's married to Donald Trump, not because she put in an application to be first lady. So, so I, I, I get why people, the only reason why I don't mind when people get on Melania sometimes is when they start ragging on Michelle Obama for doing stuff that's far less, like the one time she wore uh, an outfit that didn't have any sleeves. And they're like, oh, my God, she's got bare arms. And I was just like, the fuck are you talking about? I see women in my office with outfits like that. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, just looking for any reason. And then meanwhile, there's pictures of Melania and her horrible fake boobs. One is going... Man, I don't care what you talk about, Merck. I've seen them pictures, and them pictures look fine. Yeah, well, some of them, I don't you know. You know that I actually, actually have her, I actually subscribe to her on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. If I said that Melanie was not an attractive woman, I'd be lying. But you know what's funny? I saw a video. I was eating lunch today and, you know, doing some more stuff for the show. And somebody had a video of, of Macho Man Randy Savage uh, interviews, right? And every time Elizabeth is there, she looks terrified. And that's kind of like Melania in, you know, when she's around Donald Trump. She's either angry at him or she's just, like, terrified of him. Because, you know, Donald Trump's a monster, you know. And it's – but at the same time, I just can't really feel sorry for Melania because Melania's whole plan was – I'm going to marry this marmalade whale man, have one of his kids, and just become a wealthy widow when he dies of skin cancer from all that tanning or has a heart attack. And now she's the first lady. And that's not what Or be like, yeah, I might have a pre-up, but a pre-up doesn't cover child support, so I still get a good, cool million, even if it doesn't work out at all anyway. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got to have sex with him. In fact, I don't even sleep in the same bed with him. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, she has a kid with him, so she paid her penance. <laughs> so, but that meme just doesn't really make any sense because, like I said, you don't, you don't apply to be a first lady. You just have to be married to a man who runs for president. Even Michelle Obama in her, bio, in her autobiography, I don't know if it's an autobiography or a biography, but even she said that she didn't want Barack Obama to run for president, you know, at, at first. So... A lot of, I mean, you know, and then Mitt Romney, not Mitt Romney. I, mean, I ain't gonna lie, I was there right with her. I was like, eh, too soon, baby. You get a little bit more seasoning, yeah, you know I mean. Yeah. But um, even uh, not Mitt, not not Ann Romney. I'm talking about uh, Ted Cruz's wife. Like she's just mad because you know Ted's a politician, and now she can't do her lobbying thing because she was making way more money as a lobbyist than Ted Cruz does as a uh, politician. And she's mad because she can't buy a second house now. And I'm just like... I don't know. I've seen Ted Cruz's bank account. There's just no way they're not doing something they ain't got no business doing. Oh, don't, well, trust me. When, when Ted's time is up, he'll be paid. So she just has to wait. Because, of course, he'll get his reward for being a, a Republican stooge for God knows how long. And I was going to be a senator for whatever six years which sucks, but we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But there was also uh, an article. Uh, it was in L.A. Times. It was, it was now, keep in mind, it was an L.A. Times uh, opinion piece. Okay? So in this opinion piece, they were talking about how uh, 
Democrats and Republicans don't trust each other, and we don't talk with each other. And then if we have family members who are on the opposite side of the aisle, we automatically put them down as uh, as being evil, you know. And I was just like, I get that. That makes sense. <laughs> but uh, in the article, they did a bit of false equivalency. We were talking about that on Saturday, like the whole thing with the press, and they just don't want to be seen as being totally against Republicans or Donald Trump all the time, so they make up dumb shit as like a false equivalence that doesn't even go together, okay? So in this, in this LA Times article, this is a paragraph from the LA Times article, okay? So he says, when President Trump accuses Democrats without evidence of electoral corruption in the Arizona Senate race, even as the local Republican candidate handles her loss with dignity, he is behaving... Uh, like a, a Caudillo, C-A-U-D-I-L-L-O, I don't know what that is, from a low-trust country. When Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat from Ohio, says Republicans can't win elections fairly, they win elections by redistricting and reappointment and voter suppression, he too is contributing to the very dysfunction he claims to resist. Now, here's the thing about that. The Donald Trump part is true. Donald Trump had no evidence that there was anything going on in that Arizona State Senate race that was, uh, you know, that was unfair. He had no evidence of that, but he said it because he just wanted his, his person to win. There is documented proof that Republicans win elections by uh, gerrymandering and voter suppression. Look what happened in Georgia. Look, look, look uh, they, uh, Brian Kemp closed down all those uh, polling places in urban areas. They found a warehouse full of brand-new voting machines that they could have put out there to help people people vote. That's how they win. Look Look at what's happening in North Carolina with the gerrymandered maps, and then they dragged their feet so much because they weren't supposed to use those gerrymandered maps in this past election. But they did because the Republicans dragged their feet and pretty much defied the court order that they had to use the old maps because they literally drew the districts to help them win. The only reason why we didn't take over, I don't know if we would have taken over the Senate, because it was an uphill battle. We were defending way too many incumbent seats. So it, it wasn't really in the cards for us. But even though, and this is just for the Senate races, there were 9 million more votes for Republicans than there were for, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I had that wrong. 9 million more votes for Democrats than there were for Republicans. We still lost like three or four seats. That's gerrymandering at work. So what Sherrod Brown said was true. You can't equate that to what Donald Trump said. That doesn't make any sense because there's documented proof that Republicans are winning elections because of gerrymandering and voter suppression. There's no documented proof that there was anything hinky going on in that Arizona state race, uh, Senate race. So you always got to be careful and watch out for those false equivalencies, you know, but they do it because they want to seem fair. It's not, you know, 
it's not dumping on the Republicans if they're constantly doing things wrong. You know, it's not like they're making this stuff up. It happens all the time. So. And Blue, did you see the? Did you? It doesn't mean, the, but it doesn't matter. Whatever you can gerrymander all you want. A vote is a vote, right? Well, it all depends because a vote is a vote. But when they gerrymander, and there's a few ways to do it. So they may do what they call um, packing. I think they call it, where basically they would try to get black people in uh, as few districts as possible so that they can't influence the vote. So if you have, like, I'm making up numbers here. If you have 10 districts, right, and you have, if you have black people all over the districts, they could affect the vote. But if you just pack them into, like, two or three districts, right, then they'll lose those two or three districts but keep the other seven or eight. And there's different ways to go about it, you know. But it's totally unfair. And do Democrats gerrymander? Yeah, they do sometimes. That's not uh, that's definitely a thing. But it's not nearly on the level that Republicans do it, and it's not nearly as blatant as Republicans do it. So, but what Sherrod Brown said was true, and what Donald Trump said was false, and the fact that that author tried to make a false equivalency is ridiculous. Yeah. So we always got to be careful when we read these, especially the opinion pieces. You got to be careful when you read those opinion pieces. Yeah. Blue, did you see the footage of the uh, the migrants getting the tear gas shot at them today? Nah, nah, nah. My psychiatrist recommended that I do not watch any TV this week. He said it's going to be really hard on me based on some of the things I experienced that would activate my PTSD. So, yeah, I have to avoid that and Facebook. Well, I, I will say your psychiatrist is definitely on point because uh, it was a bad scene. And I think it happened yesterday. And what happened was, and granted, you know, the migrants did throw rocks at the, uh, at the border agents, but basically having tear gas fired at them, especially when they had, like, children in strollers and stuff like that, it's what you would call a disproportionate response, okay? They're lucky some of those kids didn't get suffocated out there. Because tear gas is hard enough on a full-grown adult, but if you have a, a baby caught up in those tear gas clouds, they suffocate, you know? And not to mention the fact that uh, basically they're going against the Geneva Convention. So what those border agents did was literally a war crime. Now, granted, yes, obviously they should not have thrown rocks at the border agents. Okay, but I try to look at it from, from, their, from their view. These people come from Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, right? That's like the devil's triangle of murder. Those countries have like the largest murder rates in the world, okay? When we talk about gun deaths per 100,000, you figure, like I talk about Japan all the time, right? They have like 0 0.2, 0 0.3 gun deaths per 100,000, right? Places like England and Ireland have like maybe 0 0.9, one, you know, one gun death per 100,000, something like that, right? America has like 13 or 14 gun deaths per 100,000. So that compared to uh, 0 0.5, 1.2 is ridiculous, right? 
in Honduras and El Salvador, those countries, their gun deaths per 100,000 is like 35. And that's not an exaggeration. So while America is in a horrible place with uh, gun deaths, and, we're, and they're at 13 or 14, Honduras is like, 30, like 35. So you can imagine if the gangs come to you and say, hey, we're going to kill you, they're probably going to kill you. It's not a matter of like two rappers beefing and be like, yo, I'm going to shoot you, son. It's a matter of if the gangs say they're going to kill you, you're pretty much as good as that. Because who's going to arrive? Nah, the whole country's exactly pretty much collapsed in on itself. That's not quite how it works. I just want to see a gang member saying, I'm going to kill you. I just think that it's going to kill you without saying it. Well, I mean, well, you know what I mean. But, I mean, if they, if they make threats against you, they're pretty much going to carry it out. Because who's, who's pretty much going to stop them, you know? And that's something I'll, I'll probably talk about at a later date, but those countries are like that because we destabilized them for whatever reason. And that's the part I need to – because, I mean, when all that stuff was going on, I was like a, I was a kid, you know? So that's something I got to sit down from scratch and, and study up on. But we did that to those countries, you know, with our, with our war on drugs and all that other mess. So, you know, you figure these people walked hundreds and hundreds of miles and they get to the border and then they get told, no, you can't come through, even though they can come through because they're at a port of entry and you are allowed to apply for asylum. So if you go to apply for asylum and you don't get it, that's one thing, Right. You still went through legally, but if you get there and then they tell you that you just can't come in, you can't do a legal process, people got mad. They lost their tempers. Some of them threw rocks, and they weren't supposed to throw rocks at the border agents. I get that, but hitting them with the tear gas is a, it's a war crime. That's in the Geneva Convention. You can't do that, especially when you got children involved. And I don't mean like 14, 15-year-olds. I mean like one- and two-year-olds who could have easily suffocated in that, that tear gas. But, you know, our, our, our president, you know, he demonized immigrants to keep his base intact. So as long as it's uh, Central Americans and Mexicans getting gassed, they don't care. They'll, they'll follow Trump through, uh, through a razor wire forest into a river of iodine because, you know, he's demonizing those Mexicans and those Central Americans, and they love him for it. And I know that's, being, that's generalizing a lot, but, I mean, who's really standing up to Trump and telling him, hey, that's wrong? It's not the Republicans. You know, I was watching um, – uh, what was it? Patriot Act with uh, Hassan Minaj, not Nicki Minaj, Hassan Minaj. <laughs> and um, you know he's a comedian. He used to be on The Daily Show. He has his own show. And here's something I didn't know. I was watching it at lunchtime today, and it's not a long show. It's only like fifteen, 20, like twenty minutes. So I'm able to eat it, you know, to watch the whole thing while I'm doing lunch and still do my work. And um, here's something I didn't realize about Ice. There is actually three parts to ICE, and, and I apologize for not getting it all down in my notes, 
You know, I didn't realize until like two minutes before the show, oh, God, I was supposed to get that down, and I didn't. But I'll try to paraphrase it as best I can. Ice is basically, you know, people always talk about abolishing ice. The part that people want to abolish is the, is the people you see on TV all the time, the ones who are busting into uh, immigrants' homes and arresting them. And, you know, in, out in Los Angeles, uh, the L.A., the cops, they hate ICE. They despise them because they pretend to be cops in order to arrest uh, illegal immigrants. And the cops hate that because now the immigrants, illegal and otherwise, don't trust the cops. Because now if they ask for help, they're afraid that they may get deported. And one of the reasons why uh, a lot of these immigrant communities – work so well is when they're able to trust uh, the authorities, able to trust the police. So if they can't trust the police and something happens to them, they're not going to report it because they're afraid they're going to they're gonna get uh, deported. There was a, uh, a parody of, um, remember Cheech and Chong? They used to do those old, uh, those drug movies back in the 70s and 80s. And, um, Oh, yeah, that was my shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I'll put it like this. I don't do drugs. That's how you know you're good at what you do, because I don't do drugs, and I still found them to be hilarious. Like, I tried to watch Pineapple Express, and I just didn't get it. But Cheech and Chong, they're hilarious. But um, Cheech Marin had a song called uh, Born in East L.A., and they made a movie about it, right? But it's basically, you know, he's born in East L.A., Right, and he gets caught up in an immigration sweep and gets deported to Mexico. So he don't know nobody in Mexico. He doesn't even speak Spanish, <laughs> and now he's got to try and find his way back to the United States. You know. Hold on, hold up. Is that based on a true story? I don't know. Well, not his story, but that's just something that they wrote. But you know. I, I would, it would probably, uh, I'm pretty sure that if I looked it up, there's probably some American citizens who get, uh, who get caught up in those sweeps and end up getting deported to a country that they, that they don't know, you know. And, and the, in the Born in East L.A., it was, bas- it was a parody song, so it was basically a parody of Born in the USA from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Born in East L.A. I was... Born in... I can't sing. <laughs> I'm not even going to... I got to make a remix, though, for my version. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a good beat. Trap beat. I was born, born, born in East... No, I was born in East Methodist. South Central, lay, lay, Compton in the house, what? But um, when I was watching the Patriot Act, there were ice is actually in three parts, and like I said, you know, bad on me for not getting it all down. But there's one part that's just like whatever, right? Then there's one part where, and like I said, that's the enforcement part—the people who are kicking in doors and dragging immigrants off and stuff like that. But there's another part to ice that deals with international affairs. So these guys do great work 
So they're, I mean, they're uh, busting up drug rings. They're busting up child trafficking rings. Like, they're doing great work. Oh, so ICE and DEA, do they work together? Are they doing it separately? No, they're not part of the DEA. It's, a, it's, a, it's ICE, but it's a separate section of ICE. But they're so turned off by the enforcement part of ICE that they actually filed a motion to be separated from the enforcement part of ICE because they said that because these guys are such Gestapo goons, it's making their jobs harder. And these are the guys who are doing the real important work, who, who are actually keeping America safe. And these goons are out there just uh, making things worse. It's kind of like in those old mobster movies, you know. You know who Ice is? Ice is basically the Sonny Corleone of, uh, you know, of, uh, of that organization. If you ever watch The Godfather, you know. Sonny was the hot-headed one who would always go over there. You know, he's always shooting people and, you know, doing all this goofy stuff. And don't get me wrong. I don't want Ice to end up like Sonny Corleone with, like, 12 people shooting him to death with machine guns. I don't want that to happen to Ice, you know. But I didn't know, like, when, when people say abolish Ice, that's the part of Ice that they want abolished. You know, the other two parts are either non-essential or true heroes. <laughs> so... But, I mean, now, I don't know if the people who were shooting tear gas at the immigrants were part of ICE. They said they were border enforcement, which means that they're probably part of the old uh, INS. You know? And that's the whole thing about uh, the whole part of ICE that bothers me is that we don't really need ICE because ICE is part of Homeland Security, but we already had border security, and that's the INS. You know? So the, the fact that they just made uh, – it's kind of like having cops, and then you just have super cops who just have less rules, you know, and could just do all the stuff that cops can't do because they have rules, you know. It, it doesn't really make any sense. But the thing is you never really heard about ICE a lot because they're not being used in the way that they're being used now. So ICE has been around since the Bush administration, but you only started hearing about them a couple of years ago because Donald Trump has been using them as a, a club to beat on immigrants. You know. So it, it, it's a sad state of affairs. So we'll we'll see we'll see how this goes. I know but, I'm kind of jacked up that they like that because they got such a cool fucking name. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. There was a comedian who talked about that, you know, about like, you know, the the the, the scumbags of America with one of the coolest names out there. <laughs> so, but speaking of scumbags, uh, Donald Trump and his trade war. Now, the one part of it, I'm not sure if this is Trump or not, but there was the article I read today where uh, GM General Motors is laying off uh, 15,000 workers, right? And this is blue-collar and white-collar workers for GM are being laid off. They're closing plants, all that stuff. Now, and this is just one year after these tax cuts were supposed to be helping these companies. Now, another factor in it is that the, um, the trade war, 
that Trump has with all these companies, one of the things is uh, metal, especially aluminum, which they need for these cars. And because of the rise in price of aluminum, they said that it's over the last year, it's cost GM over a billion dollars. You know, so it's still not clear. Now, costing a billion dollars, that's all Trump because of his trade war. The, the cuts, you know, we don't know. But definitely the billion dollars. Put it like this. Um, we just have so much soybeans now just sitting around rotting because all our soybeans used to go to uh, China. And now because of the trade war, China's not buying our soybeans anymore. They're buying them from Russia, and now they're starting to buy them from Canada and, and Mexico. So what are we going to do with all these soybeans? It's not like they're, gonna, it's not like, like they're made of plastic. They're not going to last forever. And even if Trump gives them a, cuts them a check for it, it's not going to be enough. So he basically just screwed these farmers, and, and it's kind of like... How could I? I may, I may have used this analogy before, but I don't know if you guys were wrestling fans back in what they called the Attitude Era, right? And one of the writers for the Attitude Era to talk about Stone Cold and The Rock and Mankind was a guy named Vince Russo. And Vince Russo was like the head writer for the Attitude Era. And that's the Attitude Era that brought the, the you know, WWE back on top of the ratings between WCW. When Vince Russo went to WCW... He failed miserably, and he was basically the, uh, the anchor tossed to a drowning man that finally killed WCW. And one of my friends put it in perspective. He said when he was in WWE, he had a filter. So there were people that would just tell him, no, we can't do this. No, this isn't a good idea. When he was in WCW, he had full creative control. So any shitty idea that he had was just, was just green-lighted. It was just a go. You know, Trump is very much like that. Anybody who tells Trump no, anybody who stands up to Trump is immediately fired or forced out. Look what happened with Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions did everything Trump wanted him to do. Jeff Sessions was, in his short time as attorney general, was like the worst attorney general who ever lived. The worst. But because he didn't do that one thing, which was defend Donald Trump against Robert Mueller, uh... Trump had him fired, you know, forced him to resign, you know. So basically, anybody who tells Trump no is immediately fired or forced to quit. But then when he screws up royal, he says, well, nobody told me that this was a bad idea. It's the dumbest shit I ever heard, really, you know. But this, I mean, but here's the thing. All his cronies were telling him this trade war is a terrible idea. And he did not listen. And now people are getting screwed. Royal. And like I said, I don't know if those jobs would have been lost regardless, but GM losing a billion dollars, yeah, that was all on Trump. All on Trump. So... Let me find, where's my article? You know, I, I used to be good at putting these articles in order so that when I go through each one, I could just click them off. There is a, uh, 
of course, you know, the, the blue wave, right? It didn't hit Texas like we wanted it to because Beta O'Rourke did not win the election against Ted Cruz. But uh, as we mentioned on an earlier show, we have a lot of new judges, a lot of new judges. So there were basically 19 uh, African-American female judges now in Texas, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And we also have a new uh, DA in Texas. His name, and I'm pretty sure I'm butchering his name. His last name is C-R-E-U-Z-O-T. I'm going to say Cruzot. Hopefully I'm not butchering his name, right? Uh, and I was reading this in News 1. You know, I, I, I will say this. Blue, do you ever, do you ever read uh, The Root? Like, I, um, I, I look at it like this, right? I know we're not we're supposed I, I was, to be... You said The Root? Yeah. Like the the blog, the newsletter, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. I used to. I used to be subscribed, but they they found out that I was a Republican, and they unsubscribed me. <laughs> I, I look at it like this, right? I, I know we're always supposed to support black publications, and I'm like, I do. I support News 1. They're awesome. But um, the root is basically like if a bunch of college kids wrote you know, who went to, like, Morehouse or, some, or Howard University, like, wrote a newsletter and, and, had, and had, like, a Vince Russo deal where they had, like, no, no filter. They just greenlight everything. No editors. Just print what you want. Like, if you want to be snarky on an article about the different types of, of uh, black Trump fans, that's fine. But I'm a goddamn adult. Give me the news like an adult, Okay. You save your corny jokes for, you know, the dating articles. But anyway, enough of me bitching about nothing. Mark, you forgot the one rule we got on the show, dude. Damn. What's that? We don't use God's name in vain. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but anyway, I was reading News 1, and News 1 talked about John uh, Cruzat. Like I said, forgive me if I butchered his name. And this is from News 1. John Cruzat, who is African-American, recently said uh, the most appropriate charge for the woman who fired the fatal shot at an unarmed black man in his own apartment, Botham Jean, uh, that the, uh, the appropriate charge was murder, not manslaughter. Okay? But they said, but his comments came admittedly without being intimately familiar with the investigation into one of the most unusual police shootings in recent history, that he will begin overseeing when he's sworn in next year. Talk about in January, of course. Now, here's my thing, right? He is under tremendous pressure to put this woman in prison. Do I think she belongs in prison? Of course I do. That's not even, that's not even a thing. It's not because she's a cop and I don't like cops. It's because she shot an unarmed man in his own home for seemingly no reason and then changed her story like three times. That's why. Dude, that's not a reason to be put in jail, dude. It was an accident. And let me tell you exactly how trauma and stress works. If, you, mm-hmm. if something's really traumatic, you are going to change your story because the versions of your mind that allows you to process it and change it. Now, my, my thing is this. She ended up, I mean, and, and this goes kind of to my point. 
right? And I get where you're coming from, Blue, right? About the changing the story thing. But cops have a history of that sort of thing. You know, if cops were always on the level, right, then you can give people the benefit of the doubt. We're not going to punish this girl for, for what other cops did. That's not fair. I get that. But, but, but here, here's my point. Uh, the new DA is under a tremendous amount of pressure to put this woman in prison. Right. I don't care about the DA being underneath no pressure. You don't bend to the will of the public. You bend to the will of what's right. Well, and, and that's my point. I want this done right, you know, because they figure, oh, okay, we have a black victim. We got a black DA, you know, there's going to be an open and shut case. But he had, and then, you know, he, I think he, he spoke too soon when he said about uh, that the charge should have been murder because he hasn't seen the evidence yet. And he won't be able to see the evidence until he's sworn in in January. So you can't say stuff like that. And I know he's saying it because he's under the pressure, right? But exactly like you said, he can't bow to the pressure of the community. He has to do his job. He has to look at the evidence and uh, shape the case based on the evidence. And that's pretty much all we want. You understand? We have seen too many of these cases get swept under the rug, you know, get botched, you know, or skewed in favor of the police, right? So now we probably have a chance to have this done right. So whether, when I say done right, even if she gets off, let's just say for for argument's sake that she gets off, you know, if the evidence didn't support uh, a conviction, then so be it, but we want it done right. So I know he's under a lot of pressure, but he has to watch what he says. He really has to watch what he says. So... I, I wish him all the luck, and, and I don't envy him. <laughs> I really don't envy him. I, if there was, like, a, people who I don't want to be, he would be in my top five because it, I know the pressure has got to be crushing him right now. But he's got to do it right. So hopefully he'll just do his job, and that's, that's the most we can ask from him is just to do his job. So... But um, speaking of Texas, before I before I move on, um, I mentioned Beta O'Rourke who didn't win his who didn't win his uh, his election, right? Um, but here's the thing: he did not lose by that much. I mean, you figure Ted Cruz was the incumbent and he was the corporate darling, and they showered him with money, and he barely beat Beta O'Rourke. So it really it wasn't like it was a blowout, you know. Cruz was fighting for his life, but there wasn't enough, uh, it wasn't a blowout, but it wasn't close enough for a recount, you know. But that election put Beta O'Rourke in the public spotlight. Now, here's my thing. Here's, here's where I, I get, uh, you know, where, where my friends get mad at me, okay. I like Beta O'Rourke a lot, and I cheered for him every step of the way in that election, you know, 
I thought he was sharp as a tack. I thought he was articulate, and I thought he had a lot of great points, and he had a lot of stuff that I that I back him on a hundred percent. But he's a centrist at heart, and I don't really do I don't really deal with centrists like that. You know, I'm not a fan of centrist Democrats. But here's the thing: would I vote for Beta or Work against any Republican out there right now, living or dead? Yes. Pretty much, except for maybe like Dwight Eisenhower, <laughs> you know, I would probably put Beta O'Rourke up against anybody, and I would back Beta O'Rourke against any Republican right now, one thousand percent. Would I uh, back Beta O'Rourke against somebody who's more progressive? We'll see. I'm not going to do a hard no, but I'd have to think about it. So if he was running against a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren or Tulsi Gabbard, or somebody like that. Would I vote for Beta O'Rourke over them? Probably not. Probably not. I probably wouldn't vote for Beta over them. But for any other Republican running, I would definitely vote for Beta O'Rourke. And the reason why I bring him up is because, now, Beta O'Rourke hasn't said anything about this. Okay? So let's just make that part of it perfectly clear. He has not said anything about this. But... The rumors is that Beta O'Rourke may run for president in 2020, okay? of course, as a Democrat. So there was an article that I saw where all these donors were kind of waiting. So they didn't want to throw their support against other candidates until they found out if Beta O'Rourke is going to run for president. And I'm like, look. Republican donors, oh, no, I'm sorry, Democratic donors are basically no better than Republican donors. I'll put it like this, right? If you are a billionaire, right, and you wanted to help, uh, you wanted to help people, okay? I'll just, I'll just put the question to the panel. If you're a billionaire and you want to help people, what do you think is the best way to help people? What do you think would be the, what do you think would be the best way to Help people. Let's just say, all right, you're a billionaire. Let's say you had $100 million that you want to spend to help people. What do you think would be the best way to use that $100 million to help people? Play the lottery. <laughs> well, to help other people, not just help yourself. So you got $100 million, Like I said, you're a billionaire, got $100 million, and you want to help people, the most amount of people as possible. How would you spend that money? Just off the top of your head. No wrong answers. Probably, probably convert old government buildings that are no longer in use and to make them as usable, like the home and spaces for the homeless population or for the indigents or the ones that are under, um, who don't get enough money to pay for apartments on their own or blase blase. So like a, a community-based um, thing that has um, housing, that has a mailing center for you know, those who can't even get into the program because it's already filled up or whatever, but they have a mailbox and they have access to phone lines in order to get jobs and stuff like that. It would have um, a washer and dryer set that, you know, the people from the community can use, like the homeless people, so that they can wash their dirty clothes or whatever, homeless mm -hmm. shelter, homeless coping things, something to that effect. And it definitely be something totally focused on the homeless. Yep. I, I, could, I could dig that. What about you, Van? What, 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 what would you do? You would start from the bottom because it always starts from the bottom because you have to work, think about the kids. You always have to work in a rec center, open up rec centers, open up mentors, mentorships in the whole entire, like, during, like, country, 
go to specific cities like Chicago, Jersey, and Flint, and open up rec centers for the kids because it starts from the bottom. Yep. And and and, and I'm going along. I'm going along your route, Van. I would probably say uh, in low-income areas to bolster uh, education. You know, to help kids. Uh, you know, scholarship programs to help kids uh, get the best education they can. You know, so maybe they'll come back and help fix their communities. You know, I mean, and and all these are are fantastic ideas. But here's the one thing I would not do with my money if I wanted to help people. Put it in the politics, because if I wanted to put it in the politics, that would just be to help myself. Because there are there are no donors on either side, Democratic or Republican, who put money into a politician because they want to help other people. Well, here's the way. One thing that, that people always say is the person that you need to look out for the most is yourself. Mm-hmm. So looking out for yourself and putting your money into somebody is where you can make more money. Regardless of anything, anybody who's rich, they want to stay rich. So right. they put their money into somebody where as to where they can make more money off of that individual. Right. That's just how people think. Right. And, and that helps that person. Right. And, and my point is this. If you are a, a rich donor, right, like I said, it doesn't matter your party affiliation. If you're putting money into a politician, you're not doing it because you really and, – and, and, and I'm, I know I'm putting the words in people's mouths here, so bear with me. I'm just going by what I've seen. Okay. Like, uh, oh, perfect example, the Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch, right? They're not putting money into these politicians because they like their ideas that help other people. They're doing it so they could uh, buy these politicians, so they could deregulate, so they can make more money in their businesses and put more money in their pockets. I don't know if, if the Koch brothers are philanthropists at all, right? I know you have some people like George Soros, who, yes, he does put money into uh, elections, but he's also a philanthropist, right? So he kind of does it both. He kind of does it all. You know, he puts money into Democratic candidates, but he also puts money into charities. So he kind of runs that, that gamut. But all these other donors, like, like, the, like Sheldon Adelson, the Koch brothers, the DeVos family, you know, they don't do it because they care about Americans. They do it because they care about themselves. And they want to keep making as much money as they can. And the only way they do that is to have things deregulated. So when, you, when I hear about Democratic donors who are waiting to see if Beta O'Rourke runs so they could back him, I don't think that's a good idea on their part. Because Beta O'Rourke raised an ungodly amount of money without super PAC. No corporate support, no super PACs. He raised $38 million for his campaign, just grassroots. And that, and you figure, uh, well, that's not just Texas because usually they open it up so people can, you know, like I could have donated a bit of O'Rourke if I wanted to, you know. So I know that money just wasn't all from Texas. I mean, it was from all over the country, but just the fact that he raised for a Senate race $38 million, what do you think he could do on a national level with somebody with that amount of, of charisma? But just the fact that they're waiting in the wings to find out what he's going to do to find out who they're going to throw their money against. I don't like that at all. You know, you figure you have somebody like Joe Candy III, right? The, the, the red-headed stepchild of politics. And I mean that, in the, I mean that with, with, with respect. 
because he was out there and he was, you know, doing all this progressive stuff. What happened to him? Uh, the money happened to him. He started getting some of that sweet, sweet donor money, and now you don't hear from him anymore. You know, money corrupts. It really does. So you have somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who Fox News is laughing at her because she can't afford a department in D.C. until she gets paid, uh, until she gets sworn in and gets her government paycheck. Because she had a Twitter. She's like, when it came, I I seen an interview when she was on, um, she did a a Twitter rant and couldn't, couldn't say anything about the, the, the levels of government. Uh, And and it baffled me. And, and here's the thing, you know, um, I think that people get on her too much about stuff like that. Because before she was, uh, you know, a congresswoman, she was a waitress, you know. And before she got into politics, it wasn't like, all right, well, she was a, a Rhodes Scholar or anything like that. She was a waitress, you know, just trying to make ends meet. And she got into, she got into politics. So, and that's the thing. Anybody can get into politics, you know. It helps to know this stuff, you know. And I don't want to use Trump as an excuse, because, I mean, it's not that Trump doesn't know, it's that Trump doesn't care. Like, Bush didn't know, but Bush tried. Like, he didn't like the fact that he was a dumbass, and he did actually try to better himself, even though it didn't work. Trump just don't give a fuck. He's just like, look, you know, that's just the way I am, you know. So I, I do get that people get a little worried when, you know, when Alexander Ocasio-Cortez flubs stuff every now and then. But the, pro- but the thing is, you know, it's a matter of what she's all about. You know, she's been sticking to her guns. And speaking of, speaking of okay, and, and, and before I continue, were you going to say something, Van? I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you finished it. It was good. Oh, okay. Um, there are people who are turning on, I'm just going to call her AOC. I don't want to butcher her name for the rest of the segment. There are people who've been getting on AOC from both sides. I mean, from the far left progressives to the centrist Democrats. We won't, the Republicans are all against her. We don't have. I'm not going to bore you with that details. Just like I'm not going to bore you with facts about Oprah Winfrey. We all know that. There's nothing about Oprah Winfrey that we don't know. You know, but um, so we all know that all Republicans hate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They, they hate AOC with, with every fiber of their being. They don't like her just because she is. It's not just because she's a Democrat, but because she's also a progressive. So we don't have to talk about that. But you have I, I was on Twitter yesterday and I, I was fighting with people back and forth because you have people like Joy Ann Reed and I despise Joanne Reed. I really don't like her, not one bit. But the one thing I do have to do is I have to respect Joanne Reed because she's excellent at what she does. You know, she's a, she's a great broadcaster. She, she knows her stuff. But she is a, a, a corporate Democrat to her bones. And I don't, like, I don't like that level of talent being used for petty horseshit. I just don't. It just it bothers me. But Joanne Reed was talking about AOC and the fact that AOC said that she is backing Nancy Pelosi. So what you had was 
you had the centrist Democrats who were like, see, she's on our side. You little punks need to just grow up and fall in line. And then you had the far left people who were like, oh, how could you associate with Nancy Pelosi? You're not one of us. You're an outcast. And I'm like, both of you, shut the fuck up. Here's the thing. They did not listen to what Alexandra, what AOC said. They just saw the headline, AOC backs Nancy Pelosi. What AOC said was, okay, is so long as Nancy Pelosi is the most progressive person running for Speaker of the House, I will back Nancy Pelosi. She didn't say Nancy Pelosi is the greatest thing since sliced bread. She didn't say Nancy Pelosi is a master legislator. She didn't say any of that. She just said, as so long as Pelosi is the most progressive person running, I will hold my nose and vote for her. She didn't say it like that, of course, but she may as well have. And that's the part that people didn't catch. Unfortunately, Nancy Pelosi is the best person running for Speaker of the House. And that is just horribly depressing because I hate Nancy Pelosi. She sucks. And the reason why I don't like Pelosi has to do with the fact that people keep calling her a master, a master legislator, but they can't name anything that she's done. So I watched a video of some woman on Twitter praising Nancy Pelosi and just talking in generalities. So it's basically just, oh, she's a winner. She wins. Okay? What did she win? That's like if you talk about Michael Jordan and you say, well, Jordan is a, he plays basketball and he's good and he's bald and people like him. He's got an earring. Like, okay, well, what, what else did Jordan do? Now, you and I can say, oh, yeah, he won six championships, you know, and that he's never lost in the finals, you know. That one time he played a playoff game suffering from the flu. Like, we could tell you things about Jordan. Specific like, the time he played, like the time he played baseball and he really sucked at it. Like he's a compulsive gambler. Like he's a real asshole off the court. Like he married a white woman and he divorced and his wife got half of his billions when they got divorced because he was cheating on her with these white women. Yeah, and we, and, and we can tell you that because we know that. That's the thing. All these people talk about Pelosi, they talk in generalities. Like, like she wins and she's a winner. Well, what, well, what else has she done? And then now the one thing that comes up is that they say, oh, well, she helped get Obamacare passed. I'm like, she had a motherfucking supermajority. I could have passed Obamacare in a supermajority. Supermajority basically means that you're veto-proof. I'm not veto-proof. I'm sorry. You're filibuster-proof. They can't filibuster you because you have a supermajority. You have enough votes. Like in the Senate... If you have, uh, you need 60 votes to be filibuster-proof. If you have, if you're one vote short, even if you went, if you do the majority, they could just filibuster you. And filibuster is not like in that movie, Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington, where you have to stand up and speak on the floor for 12 hours straight. It basically, you could, all you got to do is just say filibuster and it's done. They had a super majority. They could have passed anything. Well, how did they lose that supermajority? Was it because of the Obamacare Act? 
It was because they didn't sell it right. And that's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Here's, it's the one thing I do get on, on Obama for. Two things when it comes to Obamacare. Number one, him going back on his word to not sign Obamacare unless it had the public option. That's number one. Number two, he did, he, he's so humble that he won't just pat himself on the back and just say, look, this is what I did for you. He was terrible at that. He was just way too humble. So you had people who actually thought that Trump passed, and I'm not making it up to, I'm not making it up to be funny, because there was actually, um, I think we talked about it on the show, uh, I think it was like a year ago, some schmuck was on uh, Facebook talking about, you know, I'm glad Obamacare got repealed because I have the ACA. Thanks, Trump. And they were like, what are you talking about? The ACA is Obamacare. And the dude was so embarrassed, he deleted his account. <laughs> it was an actual person. But it was basically because he, he just wouldn't come out and just sell it and just say, hey, look, this is what we had. And Obamacare, as far as the exchange and stuff like that, I mean, prices keep going up now basically because uh, – you know, I'll talk about that part another time because we're running low on time. But there was a lot of things that insurance companies did to get around that, and there was no real cost control, and that was a bad thing because even though it started out good, now prices are starting to go back up. But the main jewel, not that the public option was gone, the main jewel was the patient protections, the pre-existing conditions. I, you know, I have a coworker, right? She was Team Trump all the way, right? When Trump won, she was so happy, you know. Now, keep in mind, she didn't, she was, she didn't come to work after the election and talk about, yeah, Trump, because the rest of us were just really, really salty that day at work. There's nothing worse than having your person lose, and then you got to go to work the next day and work with a bunch of Trump fans. They knew the climate was just like, okay. We're happy, but we're going to keep that to ourselves because <laughs> we don't want to get fucked up at work. <laughs> but I, I will say this. Um, there was a problem with her insurance, and she was freaking out because, and I, I don't want to put her out like that, but she's, she's really sick. And she was worried about, oh, my God, I have preexisting conditions. Will I be able to find new insurance? And I'm like, isn't your, isn't your guy the one who's going to be taking that away from you? Who had Mitch McConnell file a lawsuit to try and repeal protections for preexisting conditions? That's your guys. That's your people doing that. She's so worried about, oh, he lives in a palace and he's got, everything is made of gold and he shits in the gold toilet. She wasn't worried about, oh, yeah, he's going to repeal Obamacare and have nothing to replace it with. And they were one vote away from having that happen. If it wasn't for John McCain, well, of course, and Susan Collins and um, and um, Murkowski, that would have happened. So I, I don't get that, but Obama didn't sell that. If he had sold it like he was supposed to, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have lost that supermajority. Because people were just so busy hating on Obamacare, they didn't realize that Obamacare was saving their lives.
So it was a bad sell. But here's the thing, and this goes into the corruption in the Democratic Party, and it's the fact that um, Obamacare passed without a single Republican vote. No Republican voted on Obamacare because we didn't need them to vote on it, right? The real fight was with Democrats, was with corporate Democrats. And it was because of corporate Democrats and their lobbyists is the reason why the public option was taken out because they, wouldn't, they were not going to sign on to it unless the public option was taken out. If you remember, Blue, there was a story I did uh, was it a year ago. One of the chief lobbyists who helped take out the public option, his friend was deathly ill, right? And even though he survived, his friend racked up a whole ton of medical bills. So this guy, the lobbyist who helped pry out the public option from the Obamacare bill, had to start a GoFundMe account to help his friend pay his medical bills. And I was just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That's like if I, if I made a rule, like we don't need dog catchers, we don't need dog pounds or anything like that, and then I just get, like, then I just get my balls ripped off by wild dogs because there's no bite to corral them. And then I got to start a GoFundMe account to get my balls reattached. Like that's how that's how I feel about it. Like that's just counterproductive. But um, the whole thing with Pelosi is ridiculous because all the people who are challenging Pelosi are to the right of Nancy Pelosi. So AOC has no choice but to back Pelosi. The only other person we wanted to see run was Barbara Lee. And while Barbara Lee wants a leadership position, she doesn't want to be Speaker of the House, which, which is a shame because Barbara Lee would be an amazing Speaker of the House. You know. But it's, it's all these people who are turning on, on, on AOC because they're like, oh, I can't believe she signed with Nancy Pelosi. These are people who just read headlines and don't read articles. And I spent a lot of my Sunday telling people to shut the fuck up in a nice way, in a nice way. <laughs> I wasn't just get on Twitter and be like, shut your fucking cake hole. I wasn't doing that. But I was just letting them know, please, read the article before you run your mouth about how AOC is betraying us. She has no choice. Nobody better is running for Speaker of the House. One of the main things that the reasons why people don't want Nancy Pelosi as speaker, as speaker is because she supports. Now, keep in mind, she talked about this in like July and August, right, before the election. And she was saying that if they take back uh, the House, they would support a measure called pay-go, right? Pay as you go. So... It's, it's uh, a couple of things rolled up into one, but one of the things is that um, no more deficit spending, right? And also, they would not, they, they was trying to push a rule where you need a supermajority, so a three-fifths of the vote, right, in order to uh, 
to pass certain bills. And also, there was a rule that says that you can't tax, you can't raise taxes on the bottom 80% of the country. Now, that last one is the most important thing. Because if you can't tax the bottom 80% of the country, right, all these programs immediately fail. So there's no progressive program that we could put out there that would be properly funded and they would fail. The reason why Pelosi would back this is it's basically her way of saying, I wash my hands of the whole thing. It means that she can uh, slap down progressive policies and not get her hands dirty and not have her fingerprints on it if they pass this rule. Because what these programs need is funding. You pay, you have the funding with taxes. That's why lowering taxes has always historically been a bad idea. That's why in one year, Donald Trump has basically erased all of the deficit reductions that Obama did in eight years. He undid that in a year. We are almost back to a trillion dollars deficit. Not the debt. I don't even know where the hell the debt is. I can't even see the debt. The debt is over the horizon line. I can't see it. But if we had gotten our deficit down, we would be able to pay on our debt. We can't pay on our debt until we reduce our deficit. And now our deficit is back to almost a trillion dollars. Almost back to where it was when Obama started 10 years ago. So it's absolutely, the whole thing with the Democrats is absolutely ridiculous. And I know I'm going to get my ass kicked for this. All we have to do is add some more virtual zeros to the bank account. We got this. (laughs) (laughs) If if only it were that easy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we could print our own money, but the more money we print. I understand it really is. I heard that it's only 10% of actual physical money to um, indicate how much money is in these um, coffers. So um, and that means it's been virtual money for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it like this. I mean, I, when I get a paycheck, right, um, it's not like the old days where you go, you get a check, and you cash it, and the money's in your hand. The money's just in my account. And when I pay bills with that money, I just tell them, hey, give these people this much. So I never – it's not like I take the money and I go to the bank and I make money orders out of it. It's all done virtually, pretty much. So I basically, to tell you the honest truth, there are some months where I don't touch paper money at all. Only time I touch paper money is if I have to get $10 out of my bank account so I can go get a roll of quarters to do my laundry. Other than that. He go to that strip club. Hey, baby, here's a dollar for daddy. I was watching, um, during the Attitude Era, they had uh, Mick Foley, uh, Mankind, him and Al Snow were at the strip club. And, you know, he's got, a, like, he's got a girl on his lap, and Mick Foley pulled out a roll of quarters and gave the girl a quarter. And he was like, plenty more would ask for him, baby. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, he's a baller on a budget. But, yeah, but there are some months I don't touch paper money at all. I had a $10 bill in my wallet for like three months. I don't know what to do with it. Everything I do is basically just, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's just virtual. So, so you're right about that. 
you know, how much paper money is really out there. So, but, it, I mean, there's still, it's not like our money is backed by gold anymore, so there's still uh, a consequence just print, you can't just print unlimited money. Because there would be a consequence that I don't know about. I'd have to, I'd have to get my friend Sean on the show. You know, he's the, the money guy, you know. He does that for a living, so. But we are just about out of time. So, uh, Blue, what are your final thoughts? I don't know. This week I'm kind of thrilled. My final thoughts is take a break. You know what I'm saying? Recalibrate because this shit is crazy. Yeah. I hear you on that. Van, what about you? What are your, what are your final words? Man, <clears throat> I agree with Blue. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much crazy mess going on. It's just a, you got to step back. You just got to step back and look at it and, and reevaluate everything. Because yeah. change is coming quick. Yeah. I mean, you figure in a couple of weeks they're going to start campaigning for 2020. Like it, it's the it's the one bad thing about American politics is the the constant campaigning. You figure for Senate it's not so bad because the Senate uh, it's a six year term, right? But for the House it's a two year term, so they're constantly constantly campaigning. You know, and it, it must. It, it, oh, go ahead. Everybody should have a, a, a term as to where they can either be uh, reseated or they, they lose their seat. Oh, that's my opinion. Yeah. You shouldn't hold a seat for that long. I agree with that do. 100%. If, if, if a president can only get two, two um, what do you call it, two, two terms, their authorization, two terms, then why, why can't everybody else be limited to such? Yeah. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, put it like this. They, uh, I think I mentioned on, on the show a couple weeks back about uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, a terrible free-throw shooter. And even though he's the most prolific scorer of all time, still holds the record for scoring the most points in the career, terrible free-throw shooter. So one day, he basically, he's at the, the foul line, right? And instead of just shooting a free-throw, he throws the ball against the backboard, jumps up, grabs it, and then dunks it. That's a free-throw. And the referees were baffled because they were just like, holy shit, what do we do? Because no one's ever done that before. What happened with, with the reason why we had the term limits is because of FDR, because FDR was basically president for life. Because I think he, was, I think he served, I didn't get a chance to look it up, I think he served like four terms. I think when he died, he was in his fourth term as president. Who, FDR? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He did four yeah. terms. Because they just loved them so much, and, but they never really had that issue before. Because they were like, well, what do we do? That's never happened before. Does Russia uh, have any limits on their president? Oh, Russia's a, Russia's a dictatorship, so no. They just have fake elections to have the illusion of, uh, of, of elections. But no, uh, it's a dictatorship over there. Oh, my bad. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. I mean... It's not, it's, they don't call it a dictatorship. It's not like North Korea. They don't call it one, but it is one. The political structure is, is 
is the same, but it's not the same because of the fact that, like, uh, the regime, the, the individual who runs the regime for a long, long extended period of time, they put their foot into things and they put their, their influence is where they need to put them, and they mm-hmm. keep, keep on going. That's why Putin's yep. been in power for so long. Yep. He, he literally jails his political opponents. Either jails them or kills them. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know Trump, Trump's wet dream is to have Jim Acosta just murdered, like just find him dead in his car, you know, like the way Russian journalists are. You know, that's like the most dangerous job in the world right now, to either be a Russian journalist or a Russian ambassador, because that first year that Trump was president, how many ambassadors did they find dead? It was a lot of them. So, you kept, like, every other day you were hearing the story, like, you know, Russian ambassador such and such found dead in his car. And they won't even say how he died. They just said they found him dead in his car. So, yeah, Russia is, I don't even know what to call it. Definitely not a joke, boy. They be putting it to him, boy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... But I, I will say this, you know, the whole perpetual campaigning thing, it, it gets tiring. And I joked about this last week. This is supposed to be my time to decompress. You know, we've been following the midterms, and, you know, basically this show should only be like half an hour long. But at least, for, at least until the next election cycle. But our president is such a piece of shit. Like every day he just says something ridiculous and just gives us just fuel, you know. It's kind of like somebody, it's like one of those weird movies where you have that curse where it's like you just say, well, I just want to run and run. And then you're running and then you don't tell the wish, oh, I, I want to stop running. So you're just running around the track for like two months and you can't stop. That's basically like our election cycle. Like you never stop running, ever. You just run forever. Because if it's not a Senate race, it's a House race. If it's not the House race, it's the presidency. In other countries, elections are like, like in England, what is it, like six weeks or something like that? It's very succinct. Don't quote me on a time, but it's very short. It's not this long odyssey of ridiculousness that goes on in, in, in America. But I, I, will, I will agree with the both of you. There should, everybody should just have a time where they just take a week off from ju- and just disconnect, you know, it's too late for me. I'm, I'm too far gone. I, 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 as the song goes, I've run too far to get home. But for everybody else, take a, even if it's only for a couple of days, just disconnect. You know, trust me. If the world is going to end, somebody will tell you. Okay, right. you're not you're not going to miss out. You know. But it, it's it gets it gets to you after a while. It really does. You know. I know I ragged on that article about uh, the false equivalency, but they did have a point. If you have somebody who's on the opposite side of the aisle, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're evil. You know, nope. I, I, I rag on Trump fans all the time for supporting Trump because Trump supports, I mean, you know, putting babies in cages, hitting them with tear gas, you know, demonizing people. You know, making life harder for everyday Americans and then patting himself on the back like he's doing something good. But we can't take it out on our friends and neighbors. You know, 
I know I go off the rails sometimes, but at the end of the day, I have friends who are on the other side. I have friends who are, who are Republicans, Libertarians, what have you, you know. And I know sometimes I get mad and unfriend them. <laughs> but if, but if, if, if the chips were on the table, if, if it all went down, I'd never turn my back on them, you know. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, we can't take it too seriously, you know. We just got to take a step back and just disconnect and decompress and then just realize what are, what are the most important things in life and then just take it from there, you know. The bad part about Americans is that, yes, at the ballot box, our voices are heard. And then what do we do with the next two years <laughs> until the next election? Quiet. Quiet. Yeah. So, but uh, everybody, you just, you know, do the best you can and take care of each other. So, and uh, that's all I had. Awesome. And, th- and that, sir, is enough. <laughs> <laughs> This has been another episode of Politics on the Urban Breakdown podcast station. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Urban Breakdown podcast where you get hit shows such as 360 Degrees and Politics with Mercer Prescott and his eclectic cronies. Now take care of yourself and be good. And tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the Urban Breakdown. She look good. Hey. That's how she know she thick. She a bit sexy. She a cat. She confident. She a big girl. Got some jazzy with it. She a undercover freak. Hey. But she classy with it. Them big girls need love too. Them big girls need love too. She a big girl. Got some jazzy with it. She a undercover freak. But she classy with it. Them big girls need love too. Them big girls need love too. I can hold on to Just give me the green light So I can roll on through Put on something sexy And make it do what it do And we can have a happy And the girl is all on you Ain't no number two I'ma make it my boo And I can party with your crew Since you run with a few It's true I like them big Yeah, I like them big bone You big sassy chick I'ma get you before you get gone I'm in my zone For them five swells or better That's my cushion for the pushing You can measure the pleasure She can turn up to the max She knows she can get it And them heels looking pretty Looking so good with it She a big girl But she dancing with it She a undercover freak But she dancing with it Them big girls need you love too Them big girls need you Got some meat on the bones You better hold on Just ride us for the sexy and grown We can have a rendezvous With about three in the morning In the presidential suite Some party I'm wanting long I'm coming on strong Like a shot of Patron I don't shut the lick it Baby, I'ma make you my own You got some big sexy lips You're very provoking hips And I like them real fits So come and show me What you're working with Girl, you say you need With all that physique You're an undercover freak And you know you're looking sweet I like them tight heavy And loving them bottom ready Girl, you're real pretty And thinking about going steady she a big girl, but she dancing with it. She an undercover freak, but she classy with it. Them big girls need love too. Them big girls need love too. She a big girl, but she dancing with it. 
Yeah, I'm the type of freak that she plus away 